happens in the presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that whole baptism identity really has to take place in us first. If we're not immersed in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how are we going to bring His presence to anybody else? And so we need to be immersed in His presence and know this for ourselves if we're going to win a city and to win a nation, right? God's got to win us so that we can win them. And one of the key things that takes place in our lives that blocks the flow of the Holy Spirit are gates. Gates are the keys here, and we need to be able to open up the gates so that we can allow the immersion or the flow of God's Spirit in and out of our lives. You'll recognize that gates open and gates close. They go both ways. They let something out, but they also let things in. And so we have to be careful on the gates of our heart, what we're letting in, and we also need to know that what we're releasing from our lives are a blessing. And so we've got to watch that. If God is going to immerse us in Himself, then out of the abundance of the heart, our mouths will speak good things of God. It's a good litmus test to listen to what someone says, to hear the words they use and the language they're speaking if you want to see what's in their heart. It's a true test because, I mean, you can, you can lip sync, right? Everybody's seen American Idol, seen different shows where people lip sync. They got a soundtrack playing and they're just going. Well, there's a lot of lip syncers in church. They're lip syncing, but when it comes to the song of their own heart, it's a different soundtrack than Jesus. So we've got to watch out what's in our hearts, what's coming out of our mouths, what's in the gates of our hearts. And I want to show you that our gates can block what God's doing. And it also is necessary to have gates to prevent the enemy from coming in. You'll remember the story of Nehemiah when he went to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. The problem was all the gates were broken down. If the gates are broken down, who can come in? The enemy. And so you've got to restore the gates and restore proper gates. There's also gates that are set up because of woundedness and hurt that God can't flow because we've rejected His movement in some areas of our lives because of hurt and pain. So we've got to allow Jesus to come see what gates need to be opened, what gates need to be closed. If you'll remember, He says in the book of Revelation, I have the keys of David, and so what door I open, no man can shut. And what door I shut, no man can open. And so that's key. He wants to manage the gates of our hearts. And it's time for Him to be the gatekeeper of our hearts instead of us. There are many of us who have been keeping gates when Jesus says, you need to let me be the gatekeeper. The elders of the city met at the city gates so that they could judge and discern the affairs of that town. Why the city gates? Because as they sat there as elders over the city, they could see who was coming in and who was going out. How much they were bringing and how much they were leaving with. So that they could watch. How many of you want Jesus over the heart, over your gates in your heart? Amen? Amen. Then stand with me this morning. This is going to be interactive. Let us pray. Come on. What are you waiting for? Nudge the guy sleeping next to you. Get him up. (laughs) Pray this with me. Father God, God, I ask you you to set Jesus Jesus 
as the gatekeeper of my heart. I relinquish my gatekeeping to Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me to Proverbs 4. And as you see in Proverbs 4, it says this, Above all else, guard your hearts, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. That's the essence of your soul and being. And so you need to guard your heart, right? So there's gates around our hearts. There's gates into what we receive and what we release. So you need to guard them. Guard from what's going in. Guard from what's going out. Now he goes on to say in the next verse, this is how you guard your heart. It's real simple. Guard your heart. Then he goes on and explains how. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and steadfastness in all of your ways. Don't turn to the right or left. Keep your foot from evil. That's how you guard your heart. Very practical, isn't it? This is how you guard your heart. Watch what you say. Remember, gates go both ways. Keep your mouths from perversity. What's happening is God is coming to cleanse your heart. And when He begins to cleanse your heart, your language should change. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? And so this is something that has to take root deep in your soul. And so you're guarding your heart. You're not going to allow perverse talk to come out of your mouth. You need to change. So what's happening is you get saved. There needs to be something dynamically shifting in here that shows up out of here. Right? Oh, well, it's just, you know, me and the guys, they're talking at work in the locker room, this and that. It's just a few things, you know. It's kind of a funny joke. You're opening a gate. What happens when gates open? Things can come in. Things can go out. We need certain gates shut off. God, you need to shut that thing off and kill the perversity of in our hearts. It shows up in your tongue. It shows up in what we say and how we speak. And so we need to begin putting that away. And we need to begin speaking truth, speaking faith, speaking hope. You want to open the doors to those things and shut the doors to the perverse things and the way we used to talk. Language is key. Language is important. It identifies your character and who you are. And so don't think it's a small thing. Well, you know, I've got liberty in Jesus. I can curse and cuss whenever I want. Thank God I'm still saved. You're polluting and opening gates to an old way of life that should be shut. Shut those things down and begin to speak out of your spirit life. Begin to speak the truth in love. Begin to speak the promises of God. And that'll open the gate for the flow of God in your household and in your life. Some of you speak that here in church, but when you go home, you've got a different language. And you've got a different story. Come on, be real. We know what your heart is. If there's more perversity coming out of it five days a week than the one hour and a half you're here, then I'd have to say there's a heart issue. Guard your hearts. And what gates? Look at, he goes to the eye gates. Very practical. Judaism always looks to the physical, practical application. The New Testament begins to reveal the spiritual implications. But what he says is, make your eyes look straight ahead. Stop watching women's butts. 
Am I getting real here? And whatever other parts you're watching, look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Remember what the writer of Hebrews said? He said, set your eyes, fix your eyes on me, Christ, the author and finisher or perfecter of your faith. If you don't have your eyes on Jesus, you've got your eyes on everything else around you. And you're going to stumble, you're going to fall. That's an eye gate. This is so hard for young people today. I mean, we didn't have to grow up with half of the exposure that they did through computers and internet and TV and movies and everything else. It is so hard for their eye gate to not gaze on those things. But you see, the gates to the soul uh, concerning this world are our five senses. And so what you touch, what you taste, what you smell, what you feel, open up gates to how you're going to respond with the world. We set our eye gates on TV and on movies constantly. Instead of looking to Christ. And we've really got to consider what is our entertainment. You know, people don't go outside to look at the grandeur of God anymore. People don't look and see God outside. They're always just looking at what their iPod or their their phone says or what this is. People don't even recognize each other out here. Let's look at what we're trying to accomplish here. Shut the eye gates to the world and open them to the... The king of glory. Be careful where you put your feet, where you're going. There's gates on where your routine of path is. Some of you need to shut the gate on some of the pathways you're going through. Right? Isn't it interesting in Matthew chapter uh, 7, let me see here, Matthew 7, 13, it says this. Uh, i got a pretty little slide here I'll show you in a minute. There. The narrow way, Matthew 7, 13, Jesus says this, and I always thought he meant the road. Narrow is the road, but it's the gate. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road to destruction. That many enter in, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. It's not the road, it's the gate. You need to narrow up the gate of salvation in your heart and mind. The key to this is that the word and expression is that the gate is so narrow, you can't get through it unless you take your backpack off, you take your suitcase down, and everything else you want to bring in, you can't. you got to squeeze through. In other words, you have to empty all of who you are to get through this gate. And, and wide is the way to destruction. And so what the Lord is saying is it's narrow. Narrow your walk down. Oh, well, that's no fun. I want my liberty in Jesus. You know what? It's just getting us in trouble. It's just getting us in more trouble. If we would loose off more of this junk we're carrying and we would actually really find true freedom. Many of the things we're carrying as we think it's some kind of freedom is really just more bondage. The more you got, the more you got to take care of. And so it's a narrow gate. And so what we have to do is we have to narrow up the gates to the world and widen the gates to the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Now, let me show you some of these things with these gates. The heart gate. When we're talking about your heart, it has gates on it. And the different ways we open our hearts to the world, through our eyes, through our mouths, through, through our feet, where we go, through what we listen to. And how we dictate our lives. Many times we uh, are opening up a gate to the world or an enemy. And many times we have gates that are shutting off the flow of God. 
because of a woundedness or some, something that happened to us. This whole principle of allowing the, the baptism waters to flow through us is something that the devil knows. Because in our physical bodies, you know that we are baptized quite often the way God made us. We're baptized through endorphins. In our brains, there's an immersion, there's a baptism of endorphins that feel good. It's an immersion. So you have an experience, you do something, and endorphins are released. You like that, the gate opens up. Want to do this again? And so it's the same principle in the Spirit. God wants you to have joy in Him and open the gates, open up the floodgates of His joy into your life so that it's not just endorphins in your brain, but spiritually you're being in touch with God. He wants to flow. And so there's gates in our hearts that we have to pay attention to. And now we need to realize they come and they go. There's things that move into our lives we shouldn't have, and there's things that come out of us that need to go. But if we're ever going to reach this community with the love of God, it's got to flow out of us. So we've got to open up certain gates in our lives. The enemy uses this. The enemy knows that if, if you've had an experience, he does this early on with young people. He'll, he'll immerse them, he'll baptize them with the endorphins, with an experience, but he'll do it so that there's a contradiction that creates conflict. Many, many times there are people who have been sexually molested, and, and so the experience physically released the endorphins and the feeling that was good, but the conflict is it was done by someone who shouldn't have done it, and, and it creates this crazy conflict that causes them to shut the gate on that because they don't understand what to do with it. Maybe some of you have been traumatized in this way. And so your sexual identity or just some of your intimacy issues are blocked because there was some kind of a, an imprint, some kind of a experience that you were made to feel right with, but it was done by the wrong person. And that happens many times traumatically. And maybe there's experiences where you were supposed to get love from the right person, a parent, and they abused you and there was not love and there's conflict and another door shuts. There are gates to your heart that should have remained open for God to move in, but you've shut them because of the pain and the conflict in your own heart and you don't know what to do with them. And God understands that. And so they shut, and they shut, and we close our hearts. Now, we've accepted Christ, we've asked Him into our hearts, and He wants to move. But there are so many areas that we've closed off. He needs to go there, and He needs to minister to them. I think of Peter. The amazing story about Peter is this, that I know he denied Christ, but if you look at his story, you really see he didn't know what to do with it. And Jesus ministered to that wound and opened it up to heal it. Let me explain to you really quick the story. Jesus said, you are all going to uh, neglect or uh, turn your back on me. He said that at the Last Supper. And G Peter said, not me. That's not going to happen with me. I will not leave you. I'll be there for you. So Peter's pride said he was never going to leave the Lord. And what happened? Jesus gets arrested, and what does Peter do? He takes a sword to fight for him, right? Isn't that what he said he'd do? 
I mean, that was honorable. That was great. Jesus said, no, you're not getting this thing. Put the sword away. That's not how to handle this. But Peter only knew one thing. I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to protect you. And so they take him away. They take him to the, to the court. And where's Peter? Close by. So he could watch. Why? Because what did Peter say? I'm going to be with you. I will not forsake you. I'm going to be near you. So his intentions were right. And so someone comes by as he's there in the nighttime and he's keeping an eye on Jesus, trying to get close to him and says, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? No, man, not me. Why did he lie? So he could stay close to Jesus. He said he wouldn't leave him or forsake him. He was willing to lie about it so he could stay close to him because his pride said, you're going to be close to Jesus. We can have the right intentions and do it all wrong. We've always got to have our hearts right with God. There's many people who are in the church and serve the Lord with a right motive doing it in a terrible way. He's lying. Why? So he could stay close. He keeps staying close. Someone else asks him, hey, aren't you one? And he's thinking, if I say that I'm one of his, they're going to take me away and I'm not going to be there with them. I'm staying close. No, I don't know him. I'm being sneaky now. So I can stay with him because he needs me. Right? You ever been that conflicted? Thinking you're doing the right things and in the wrong way? Finally, some little girl, he's standing around a fire. As he's standing around that fire and the smoke of the night and everything and the, and the embers are burning and he's looking, he's keeping his eye on Jesus because he said he'd stay with Jesus no matter what. The little girl says, hey, you're one of his followers. I know, I've seen you. And he bleeps out a bunch of uh, expletives and curse words and says, I never knew him. And cock-a-doodle-doo. Just what Jesus said. He'd deny him three times. But in his, tr- in his efforts to stay close, he denied. His pride got the best of him. His desire to serve Jesus undermined his serving Jesus. <laughs> He's brokenhearted. He doesn't know what to do with that. He ends up being one who was prophesied that he would deny him. He goes away brokenhearted. Now this is very different than Judas, isn't it? Judas said, give me 30 bucks and we're done. (laughs) You see the difference between a Peter and a Judas. Now, many days after the resurrection, Jesus is on the shore. They're out there fishing. Peter sees him. He jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore because he wants to connect with Jesus. Now, Peter's broken. Peter's wounded, a door shut on Peter as to how well he could really serve God. Maybe a door shut in your heart because you failed God somehow. Even in your best intentions, you wanted to serve him and you ended up messing it up. You followed the wrong guy, you followed the wrong way, you said the wrong things, you just messed up. You don't know if you're qualified to even follow God anymore. That's where Peter was. So what does Jesus do? He sets a fire. And in this fire, he begins to uh, cook some fish and everything. And so where did Peter deny Jesus? By the fire. So Jesus wants to visit the wound of his heart and where the door was shut. So as he visits that place, he recreates it for Peter. Peter smells the fire. 
and considers that he's close to Jesus again. And as he's at that fire, Jesus asks him three questions. Do you love me? He brings him back to the place where Peter himself denied. And if you look at the original language in the Greek, the words for love are different. And so Jesus says, do you agape me? Agape is self-sacrificing love. Peter says, I filio you. I love you like a brother. Because I don't believe Peter had the confidence to say, I love you as an agape love. He says, feed my lambs. Sitting around that fire, here it comes again. Do you love me? You see, this is visiting the very wound in his heart. That's where Jesus wants to go with all of us. And, and he goes and he says, do you agape me? And Peter says, I, I filio you, Lord God. I love you like a brother. He says, feed my sheep. Finally, the third time, Jesus changes the level of love and he says, Peter, do you filio me? And Peter does not respond in turn. He, he says, you know all things, Lord. In other words, you know my heart better than I do because I failed at this and I don't know where I stand with me. And now watch this. Jesus says, feed my sheep for you will. And he begins to prophesy into his heart, into the wound of his confusion of is he able to love God? Will he love the Lord with all his heart and mind? And Jesus begins to tell him, yes, you will. For when you are old, you will not put your clothes on. Someone will take you. In essence, what he's saying is someone will lead you to a cross and they will crucify you because of your love for me. He answers Peter's own doubt and closed gate in his heart. And through this effort, he begins to open up the gate of Peter's heart for, for loving Jesus. And what he cannot do and cannot imagine, Jesus begins to prophesy and speak into his soul. And a gate is opened and the flood waters of love penetrate into the depth of his heart. There are some of you here this morning that have areas of your heart that have been closed off because of woundedness. You don't know how to fix it. I'm not telling you to fix it because you don't know and I don't know. Only Jesus can go to those places and begin to speak into them and open up the gates that have been shut and heal you and speak of what your hope and your future is. That's the depth of our redemption and our salvation. He wants to redeem us perfectly, wholly, through and through. It's not our effort. It's not our ability. He knew what he was buying when he purchased you. A mess. And it is his good pleasure to go into the muck and mire of our souls and the closed out parts of our heart and begin to minister healing and to open up the floodgates so his spirit may come in. That's what he's doing for us. In the end of that story, the end of Peter's life, It's fascinating because when he's locked up in the book of Acts, he's not afraid. He's in the jail. He's all chained up. Remember? Angel had to come get him. Had to wake him up. He's sleeping. He's not worried. Why? Because the prophetic word was, 
someone else is going to take you and you're not going to clothe yourself. Well, he clothed himself that day. This isn't the day. He's fine. That's the power of a prophetic word. The angel said, come on, get up. Let's go. We got some more things to do. But at the end of his life, many, many years later, he and his wife were brought to execution. They crucified his wife in front of him. And he began to minister to her. He prayed for her and he encouraged her to trust in the Lord. And it came time for them to crucify him. And as they nailed him to the cross, he remembers the day on that beach when his heart was opened wide by the mercies of God that touched his life that he could say, I love you with everything in me. And when they nailed him to that cross and they were going to put him in the ground, they said, he said, no. He said, crucify me upside down for I am not worthy to die as my Lord. And they hung him upside down at that cross. And Peter gloried in the love of God, his Savior. That's what the healing touch of God can do. Open the floodgates of your heart where gates have been shut by damage, shut by our own failures, shut by what other people have done. Jesus can heal and restore. These are the floodgates of God. Let him minister to you. Let him open them up and restore you. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't even have to know how to figure it out. Just invite him to that place. Let's bow our heads. So God.